I'm Kate Daniels. While there has been a toll on everyone in this unique year, Dr. Mark Golson brings words and exercises of healing for us to take to heart. Dr. Mark Golston, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning, Kate. Thank you for having me on again. Again. Well, you know, when you have such important conversations to share with us, important books you've written to help support us and direct us in the direction of what we need to understand and learn. And here, you know, this morning we get a chance to touch on some of that so that I feel in this will be a gift to so many people, maybe all people, because here, your latest book, when we're dealing with this very crazy time that we're living in with COVID is why cope when you can heal how healthcare heroes of COVID-19 can recover from PTSD. So that's a, a huge thing. Within that, they are the frontline workers and I can't extend enough appreciation towards them. I think we might see a little bit of ourselves within this and it could provide us some coping skills and, and ways to heal as well. Well, you know, the book is titled that because the publisher, I think they were accurate, said these healthcare workers are fighting a war. And even though they're trained to be healthcare workers, they're not trained to fight a war the way military are. And what happens is when you're fighting a war, you have to push away anything that distracts from you fighting that war. And what allows you to push away horrific scenes and actually terrifying scenes that could shake you up is you're so duty-bound, plus your peers, your colleagues are not letting each other down. And what happens, in order to focus and function at that level, and what enables you to push this stuff away, is danger triggers an adrenaline rush. Adrenaline is almost like a special sauce. You can be an NBA player and play on a broken leg for a quarter if you're running on adrenaline. But here's the challenge. When the danger goes away, and it will, and we hope it's sooner than later, the same with military and veterans, when the imminent danger goes away, the adrenaline that insulates you, that insulates you from all those thoughts, feelings, and memories goes away, and it feels like they're all going to push through and rip you apart. The analogy we've been using, Kate, is when you're confronting something horrific, so instead of seeing one death in a month in your emergency room, you see five in a shift, including a colleague, including a FaceTime that you missed by 10 minutes uh, where you were going to have a loved one speak to someone who was dying. This is, this is truly horrific. And every time you see that, it's like taking a screaming cat in your brain and putting it in the cellar because you got to function. And then you put in another screaming cat then you put in 10, then you put in 100. And when you speak to people, uh, and they'll say, I don't know if I can make it through the shift, and then they blink and they've worked for 48 hours straight. And so they feel kind of superhuman on the surface, but inside they know uh, that uh, there's something getting messed up. And you know, when you think about veterans, why would a veteran become depressed or want to kill themselves when they're not in the war zone anymore, they're not in any danger. It's because the way our minds work, everything you push away, it feels like it wants to come up and explode through you. And so in our book, 
like hoping you can heal, we have an approach where instead of all those cats ripping out of the cellar and ripping you apart, it enables you to let one cat out at a time. And we call that process surgical empathy. You know, I'm, I'm just feeling so emotional by your description in just a minute, less than two minutes of what these healthcare workers face. It just tears the heart apart. We can kind of conceive of it when we're not there, but when you describe it, this is what they have to live. It's just unbelievable. Yes. And for listeners, this book is immediately applicable to military and veterans. It can apply to anyone who's been traumatized. In fact, one of the things I'm proudest of in the book is my co-author. So my co-author, and you'll need to have her on the show, uh, her name is Diana Hendel, and she was the CEO of a of Long Beach Memorial Hospital, a hospital she grew up in. She started as a pharmacy student and grew to become the CEO. And on the 100th day of her being a CEO in 2009, an employee of the month came in and killed his two supervisors in the same department that she grew up in, and then killed himself. And she led the hospital back to health, both psychological, financial. And in 2015, the hospital was doing well, but she kept getting triggered. There'd be bomb scares, things like that. And she had me at hello. I had her on my podcast, my wake-up call. And she just said in this lovely way, she said, you know, the hospital was healthy, and they deserved a healthy CEO. And I realized I wasn't because I realized I had PTSD. And she went out and got it treated. And so now she consults the organizations and institutions because something that people listening don't realize is individual trauma, but there's also institutional trauma. For instance, if we use the analogy when COVID started or 9-11 started, we were all pulled together. We were all going to take on this disease, this pandemic. But what happens institutionally is after that initial, we're all in this together, factions start. People start blaming. People start finger pointing. People start getting angry and they start getting at each other, which is what we're seeing with COVID. I mean, initially, we'll take this on. You know, uh, if it came from China, that's sorry, but we're going to handle it better. But then, you know, we're divided. Well, if we take it on, we're going to lose all our businesses. But if we keep our businesses open, it's going to get awful. And so institutional trauma goes through that. And so that's why I'm so honored and proud to have her as my co-author. And she sounds phenomenal. And one of the things being that she had the awareness that she was suffering with PTSD and knew she needed to do something about it. It's good for us to know that because... Any of us might be suffering that because of certain things that have gone on in our life. And it might be just this general impact effect of COVID-19. Right. So I think, Kate, that leads into people. People are curious, what's the difference between stress and trauma? So we're all under stress right now. I can't think of anyone in the world that's not under stress, given the current circumstances. So with stress, we're able to still function. You know, we get up, we can focus on what we need to do, we focus on our goals. But when the stress becomes too high, when it crosses over into distress and severe distress, what happens is we start to focus on relieving the distress 
which causes us to let go of the goals. And the more you focus on relieving the distress, the more you engage in some destructive behaviors, drinking too much, eating too much, withdrawing from people, not taking care of yourself. And you're doing that because you're trying to cope with how awful it is, but doing that actually makes it worse. Because if you don't go into work, you start to get anxious about going back to work. And taking a day off becomes a week off, and then things get worse. So stress becomes trauma when you can't focus on your goals anymore, and you're focused on just being able to eliminate the severe distress, which is eating into you. But here's an interesting element, Kate. When what's going on in front of you blocks your way, it's something you've never dealt with. And so the future is immediately blocked. doesn't mean it'll always be blocked, but it's immediately blocked. There are some people who can turn inward, inside, and they have a built-in determination. They have a built-in, I'm not going to let this get me down. Uh, they have a built-in resilience. They have a built-in mental toughness. So people who have mental toughness, determination, and resilience, they often don't get traumatized because when they're facing an uncertain future and they reach inside, they come up with something that tells them, yeah, this is hard, but you're going to get through it. And a lot of that, of course, comes from how we were raised. As children, when we dealt with rejection, adversity, things like that, if we were raised to be able to deal with it by really good parents, you know, who really helped us express our frustration, our anger, our fear, and then after they heard us through, brainstormed with us how to deal with it. You know, that's, that's a different parenting than parents who coddled us, you know, tried to buy us something uh, which didn't help us deal with anything, or criticized us and shamed us when we were there scared or hurt, or they just neglected us. You know, they were, had their own problems. So I don't know if you can picture that, but you know, the more that you're able to take the hits from life, without doing something destructive, the more stress you can handle without it turning into trauma. And you think of these times, and I can see the correlation with a war zone. This is its kind of war, and it feels like there's no relief of having to keep going back in, or as you mentioned, even working 48 hours straight. Absolutely. And then why cope when you can heal? Because what we're very pleased with is when people's minds are constricted, which they get when you're stressed, people want tactics. So for your listeners, I'm going to give some tactics that they can use. And you don't have to be traumatized uh, to make use of them. So one of the tactics is we call a stress relief exercise in journal. And what it looks like is you get a journal, buy a journal, and you think of a, a mentor, parent, coach, living or dead, and if you don't have one and you're a teenager, get a picture of LeBron James. You get a picture of someone who believed in you and helped you through other things, and you paste that picture in the inside cover, and then what you write, and these are going to be your prompts. This is what you're going to follow. That's why it's called the Stress Relief Journal. So if, if something's upset you, so try and follow this in your mind's eye, Kate. So imagine you're tweaked by something, something upsets you. So you go to the journal, you see the picture of that person, and you imagine that this is what they're saying to you. The first thing they say is, you can get through this, Kate. 
So you're just feeling them. And I have seven dead mentors uh, who I was blessed to have in my life. So I have the pick of a litter and I can pick any of them. And I have one of them pasted in my journal. Uh, Dean McNary, the dean of students from my medical school who helped me through a rough time, says, Mark, you can get through this. The next prompt is, what just happened, Mark? Well, I went to, I went to the office and I heard, I'm making this up, I, I heard the person next to me has COVID. What did you think when it happened? I thought, oh my God, uh, have I been in contact with that person? Did I watch myself? You know, I'm in trouble. And then uh, he says to me, what do you feel? I'm scared because uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken. And boy, if this affects me, uh, I could get really sick and I'm living in close quarters with my family. And then the next thing is, Mark, what does it make you want to do? So that's the destructive impulse. Uh, I want to deny it. You know, I, I, want to, I want to pretend it didn't happen because I, I just can't feel it. Uh, I want to just convince myself, uh, uh, you know, that, that 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 person doesn't have COVID and whatever. And then I imagine uh, that person saying to me, Mark, take a deep breath. <sighs> then the next thing is, what would be a better thing to do, Mark? Well, the better thing is remembering you and having you talk me off a cliff. I mean, I feel better just remembering you, remembering how much you cared about me, and you're talking me off a cliff. So that feels better. What would be a better thing to do? Well, now I feel a little calmer. I think would be to find out the facts. You know, uh, do a tracing, go get tested, uh, find out more information. And instead of racing ahead, uh, find out what's going on. And then the final thing is, why would that be a better thing to do, Mark? Well, because it's better than being chicken little with the sky falling. And what happens to me, and see why I recommend people put down a picture is, and you don't have to, you can just do the journal without it, is when you picture someone who caring about you, loving you, walking you through it, it releases something in our brain called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the bonding hormone. It's what enables uh, young mothers to bond with their screaming infants. And oxytocin counters another chemical in our minds, in our bodies, called cortisol. When stress goes up, cortisol goes up, and cortisol triggers our brains to kind of react in very impulsive and primitive ways. But High oxytocin lowers the cortisol, and instead of reacting, we can calm down and we can think. Wow. That is, even just you're going through those steps, I could feel how, well, I'm going to say therapeutic it felt, but we can do this on our own at any time, whenever we need Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right. You can do it in a journal. We're starting some pilot projects with healthcare workers who are heading towards burnout. And what we're going to do with them is we're going to have them go back. Uh, and we also talk about we have an emotional algorithm in the book. And an algorithm is something when you follow it, it starts at the beginning and lands you in an end. So after the danger is gone and they're heading towards burnout, we're going to have them share, you know, what was the first horrific scene you saw? Five people died on my shift. Did it terrorize you? Not while I was working, but when I went back to my apartment, and worried was I infected, I got terrified. And what happened then? Did you feel 
kind of fragile. Yeah, I, I couldn't sleep that night, and I knew I had to go back in. And so what we're going to do is have them all share that. And again, the dangers pass. And as they share that, if they start to get overwhelmed, we'll apply the, death, the stress relief exercise. And we'll be like that loving mentor parent walking them through it. So this is an example of how we let one screaming cat out at a time and calm it down. That is just, it feels so healing. It feels so right. And and the need is so great that we want to just get this to those, all the people who need it, and especially our healthcare workers and anyone on the front lines, because they're dealing with this and perhaps don't know what their resources are. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's, uh, we believe it's going to do well, but uh, we're six months too early. You know, we couldn't predict what was happening. So uh, I think our publishers is right saying, you know, these healthcare warriors are going to have a rough time once it's over because that's when the nightmares are going to come back. That's when the uh, horrific scenes are going to come back. But we're still in the active war zone. So it's it's a little bit early. So we believe uh, as we pass through this, and if the vaccine takes hold and people can exhale, you know, while other people are feeling relief, and even healthcare workers are feeling relief, as I said, all that adrenaline that insulated them from all the horrors of it is going to go away. So yeah, and we believe it will help them, and we hope to help them. I'll tell you, you know, one of the reasons we wrote it is I have a passion for suicide prevention. And I just hope I'm wrong about this, but I'm committed that healthcare workers will not become like the 22 veterans who die by suicide every day. I am all in preventing that. I'm all in preventing that with uh, veterans. But and every time I read a story, and we have some horrific stories in there, and it wasn't to sensationalize it. You know, what we wanted to do was put a stake in the ground and said, this happened. Let's not forget. You know, people will want to race ahead and erase it from their memory, the people who weren't healthcare workers, and they're going to do that. But we wanted to memorialize, let's remember what they went through, you know, because while other people are racing to get away from it psychologically, you know, these people that are saving our lives are still going through it and going through the worst part of it, the psychological part. So... Thinking of it, the book being available now, we're still in the midst of this. Yes, the vaccine is just arriving, but it's going to take time to get to really the majority of people. So to use this technique, to use these exercises now, before rather than six months down the line, is there a way to be doing a little bit of preventive care? Oh, yeah. We believe, and the endorsements are just off the wall. I mean, they're just unbelievable. So we're just so honored that such influential people thought so highly of it. So you can start using the book even now. See, part of what's happening is, and one of the reasons healthcare workers, especially doctors and military, push stuff away. See, what the stigma is, if you drill down and you want to find out why they're pushing things away, and I can be pretty forceful in my intervention because I'm determined to help people heal and not cope. You know, what some of them will say, they'll say, uh, you know why I don't want to deal with it, Doc? I don't want to open Pandora's box, mm. you know, and, and the Pandora's box is those screaming cats. 
And some of them will say, and that Pandora's box goes way beyond COVID. Goes back to stuff that, you know, that I just got past, but I never got over from when I was younger in my life. And I don't want to rip that open because I'm coping. And here's an interesting thing. When you speak to people who are traumatized, and this is why we came up with Why Cope When You Can Heal as a title, and you look them in the eye and you say, good for you, you're so strong, you're so courageous, you got over it. And you keep looking in them in the eye, they'll look back at you and they'll say, I never got over it. And you say, what do you mean? I got past it. What do you mean? I'm not the same. What does that mean? Um, I'm tentative. I don't put two feet into anything. I know exhaustion. I don't know peace. I know fun, but I don't know joy. But coping is better than not coping. But I'm not fully alive. And so we want to fix that. Because that means that the Pandora's box doesn't go away. It's there, and that's what's impeding that feeling fully alive. Right. In fact, we have an exercise as part of the surgical empathy. So when people are going through things, we have an exercise called the 12 words. Because when you give someone, and you can use this with anyone you're worried about. You can use it with a teenager, a spouse who's just going through a rough time. And, And one of the observations we've heard is that when you're worried about someone or anyone, and you say to them, how are you doing? And they say, great, they're usually good. But if you say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine, they're not. When they say, I'm fine, what they're usually saying is, leave me alone. And so when you're dealing with someone who says, I'm fine, and they're not, what you say is, you don't sound fine, uh, humor me. I got a bunch of words, and let me run them by you. And tell me, uh, tell me which of them lands. And they're all emotional words. You know? And they're words like uh, anxious, depressed, angry, frustrated, overwhelmed, numb, alone, ashamed, lonely, uh, and several others. And it's interesting because you're tracking with me well, Kate. If you can imagine that you pick one of the words, and let's say one of the words was overwhelmed, and you said to me, Mark, I feel overwhelmed. Just even saying it, you could feel that you're starting to exhale. Can you see that when you can apply the right word to what you're feeling, you begin to calm down one of the cats. And if I were to say, say more about being overwhelmed, you begin to talk more. Yeah, there's more things coming at me than I can, than I can handle. You know, I hate disappointing people. I'm afraid of dropping a ball. And it feels like at any given day, I'm going to drop all the balls and I'm overwhelmed. So how are you getting through it? I'm just getting through it. But can you feel, Kate, that as you begin to do that, using the methods under uh, surgical empathy, how you're pulling it out of them, and then they're calming down. Yes. Oh, I can see where that is so invaluable, just in general life without COVID and people having the, the struggles with whatever's going on. So now adding this layer of COVID to all of us, more so to some than others, as we've been discussing, having this book, which is a tool because we can't all access you directly, then being able to use this as a as our tool to help guide us along, help someone else we know, encourage them, because we are all in it together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have a website, whycopewhenyoucanheal.com, whycopewhenyoucanheal.com, and there's excerpts there, 
And actually, uh, there's opportunities for bulk orders. And I think if you buy 100 books, I created a 45-minute videotape. But it's exclusive because uh, what we want is institutions to buy 100 books for the healthcare workers. So, so they're going to get a presentation by me about how to go through this. And it's some people say it's mesmerizing. I, you know, I don't think I'm mesmerizing, but people say it, they can just follow it so well. But something I want to, as we start heading towards the end of this, I want to give your listeners tips that they can use with their teenagers they're worried about, a spouse that they're worried about. And here's another example of surgical empathy. Uh, and it involves three questions. So I want you, Kate, to picture that there's someone you care about and they're shut down, they're sullen, and they don't want to talk. Could be a teenager, could be a spouse. And this is the script because like people like scripts. And you say, uh, we're all having a tough time through this. You know, we're all doing the best we can. And sometimes I'm a little worried about you. And I want to ask you a few questions. Would that be okay? And they might be irritable, uh, but they might say, okay. And here's the first question. At its absolute worst, how awful are you capable of feeling? And if it's a teen, they might say, pretty awful. And you want to open them up to the surgical empathy and you say, pretty awful or very awful? Okay, okay, mom, very awful. Uh, then the second thing is, and when you're feeling that, how alone are you capable of feeling? Pretty alone, mom. Pretty alone or all alone? Okay, okay, all alone. And then the third question is, take me to the last time you felt it. And they're going to say, what? It was at 2.30 in the morning when you couldn't get back to sleep because we heard you pacing around in your room. So take me back to that. And something magical happens when someone can tell you about an incident where they're pacing around, wanting to hit a pillow, maybe wanting to hit the wall, maybe scrounging around looking for outdated Benadryl. When they describe it to you so clearly that you can see it with your eyes, they re-feel it. And when they re-feel it, they're not alone. And often they will just start to cry. And then if you're a parent talking to a teenager and you don't rush it, you let them cry. They're crying as a relief. Don't feel like you're making them cry or letting them cry. And then what you say to them, you say, look at me. And they and you may be having tears in your eyes and say, I have a favor. Whenever you're feeling this way, do whatever it takes to get your mom or your dad and my attention. Because there's nothing more important to us than us trying to keep you company when you're feeling alone there. But can you see how that might help? That is beautiful and so perfect and practical uh, because I imagine that happens in far too many cases. And to offer this kind of tool this morning that people can come back to listen to if they choose, having that at their disposal, I think, is really a great gift which is what you are, Dr. Mark Colston. I am so grateful for you. I wish we had more time because there's so much more, but I think we've captured the essence and uh, referring people to the website, whycopewhenyoucanheal.com, is going to really be uh, a great tool as well. Well, thank you. You know, I feel like Jack Nicholson uh, with you and as good as it gets <laughs> uh, because you make me want to be a better man. Oh, my. 
I, I think you're a pretty great man, Dr. Goulston. Your, oh. your, your passion and dedication is, is just uh, incredible. And we are all the be- we are the better for that, I must say. Well, you know, you're pretty great yourself because uh, I think your listeners will agree with me. Kate cares. You know, Kate has a calling and people's concerns and worries, their fears, their hopes really matter to Kate. You know, she's not just doing this to have a show and have a channel. It really is clear to them that she cares. Well, I it, that feels quite on track, um, but I don't always think of that. But, but yes, that's, I guess, at the core of what I do. So thank you for saying that. That's really lovely. Thank you. My and, pleasure. And again, many thanks for taking time with us today. It's really been a great gift. And uh, I just trust and hope that lives are being touched and affected and in a very positive way. Me too. Let's, let's hope we save some lives and lessen some suffering. And we're all going to get through this. I'll leave you with one of the best quotes that I heard from someone who was traumatized. She came in, and this is over another trauma, and she seemed better. And I said, what happened? And she smiled, and she said, it comes down to living with life never being the same again. Living with life never being the same again. You know, life is never the same again after 9-11. You know, if we have cancer, uh, life is never the same again after you have cancer. But it doesn't mean our life is over. Doesn't mean we can't laugh. Doesn't mean we can't love. Doesn't mean we can't hope. But I thought that was just a lovely and eloquent way to frame what we all need to believe that living with, that it comes down to living with life never being the same again. Yes. Oh, that's right on the mark. And again, thank you for being you and contributing so much that is of such great value to our world. Thank you.